Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Ituria, and Trachontius, Trachontius, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the country around the Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked road shall be straight, the rough ways smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. The kids are invited to Kids Church with Kelly this morning. You, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare a way for him, to give his people the knowledge of their salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven, to shine on those living in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. That's the uh, portion of Luke that Park read for us during the worship segment, but, but to, to say that in Advent we await the rising of the sun to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, that our feet may be guided in the path of peace, captures a lot of what we do in Advent here. Now, for those of you who don't know, uh, Advent is perhaps my favorite church time, uh, what other time or season can or will the church ever have but that of Advent, Carl uh, Barth explained once. What he meant was is that as we sort of try to inhabit the story, this is one of the things that we do at Defines Church in us following the church calendar, which is not our invention, but is an invention that comes to us from without in the wisdom of the larger church. And in doing this, we try to inhabit the story of God so that those parts can come to us as they as they reveal to us this thing this is this is i commonly use this when we go into advent or lent but if you think about the arc of most stories this is um they start off uh let's see i haven't seen frozen but i think i know uh they start off the prince there's going to be an open day everybody's going to come in jamie you'll double check me on this right uh and then it's all great uh things are looking up and then uh bad things happen and everything starts to go down i believe is there spoiler alerts for a movie that's been this popular for this long? No, okay. The parents die, right? Uh, and sadness enters the land. And then somehow uh, the one girl sets the whole house frozen. Darkness keeps coming. And then they rise up out of that through the challenges and struggles. And then normally in most of these stories, so my daughter's done watching at this point. This is why I haven't seen the full of any of them. Once, once somebody dies, she's out. Um, uh, 
we're working with her on that because it's, it's important to understand story, um, to know that there is light that comes in the end. We do have stories that we tell normally as adults where there is no hope in the end, but most of our stories end with some goodness and hope, but you have to walk through the darkness to get there. Normally, as, as these stories reach their crescendo, something, one last challenge arises. I don't know what it is in Frozen. Is there one, Jamie? Her sister almost dies, so... Uh, Wait, now I'm a spoiler for me. Um, uh, and then it falls back down, and then they have to work together again to sort of reach this high, and then they finish in a whole new place. Why this long summary of Frozen is to say that in the church, we try to live into the story of God. We try to live into the places when we mark Jesus' baptism to hear what it was like for him to be baptized. And here's the problem with these stories. If you, uh, one of the things is if you just start with the end, that God is going to redeem and recreate the world, and so we all just live there. We never learn how the story goes. We never learn to be participants in it. And in a minor way, Disney films, or anything else you might pick, Star Wars or the Marvel films, are in some sense, or at least historically, might have been trying to teach you to face your darkness. They might have been trained to teach you to see that though your life will have dips and challenges, perhaps there is a way forward. This is why people probably, I mean, these are multi-billion dollar films, so perhaps they are telling us something more than we think they're just telling us as entertainment. But so the church, we walk into this place where we see ourselves captive as Israel, awaiting God's work in the word of Malachi that we read today, or in the book of Philippians that we read, where we are awaiting that day of the Lord. Or we hear from John, oddly out of place. We all know the Christmas story is in Luke 2. And yet the lectionary, the prescribed reading for today, jumped to John 3. So that we can begin to hear what is this new thing that is going to come amongst us. We don't just jump to the end, but we try to inhabit the story so we know what we're doing. Alistair McIntyre, um, a great philosopher at Notre Dame, used to say that before I can know what I should do, I should know what story I'm a part of. What story we're a part of shapes our values and how we understand ourselves. And so in Advent, this is one of these times in the church year where um, we don't walk through Galatians. There's a whole half of the church year called ordinary time where we certainly do what we want. Um, but Easter and Lent and Advent, we try to walk in these ways to sort of hear how the story could be shaping us. So what season does the church have other than Advent? In the season where we had wait, shouldn't be lost on us that, that Paul in Philippians, is, is he's calling the people's patience out in the reading we heard today. There would be patience for that day of the Lord. Christians, as we are apt to forget, are awaiting Christ's return. We have representations of this that, that people don't like, like the Left Behind series and others, but it doesn't change the fact that this world is awaiting that day. Kelly and I were in the midst of visiting a church where we sang that song, The Canticle of the Turning, or My Soul Cries Out, or uh, The World is About to Turn, as we call it, um, and, and we knew we had to keep going to church there because the song just spoke of the frustration that the world is in. Hungry poor shall weep no more. And Christmas, unfortunately, this is why we try to keep our church focused on Advent. We get to Christmas. The 12 days of Christmas are the days after Christmas that start with Christmas Eve. 
we get to that point, but we try to keep it in a place where we can still tell the truth about ourselves. If you listen to what's going on in the world, certainly any of the time if you really listen, but certainly if you listen during Christmas, during these, these 24 days we think leading up to Christmas, it's buy, consume, set out perfectionism. This, that. And it's no wonder that depression and angst rise around these times because the message we're being barred with is that we can, we can make it. And so intentionally, we try to keep Advent. I lose this battle. We'll have Christmas tree in here before Christmas Eve. But, but I try uh, to keep us in the spot where we can hear some of the truth that the world is still bound in darkness and death. That we still don't get to make it out the way that we want to make it out. That we still are awaiting help from the outside. Last week, we used that um, Diedrich Bonhoeffer quote to talk about Advent, that, that Advent is like sitting in a prison cell, and we await being rescued from it. But we can do things in the cell, but eventually help has to come from outside the cell. That that's the place in which we exist. And so last week, the, the, I tried to look at the four readings and, and sort of think of like watch and wait as one of them, that we are captive. This week... Um, I came up with the glory of the stop sign, and I drew it really well. Um, I could have found a picture of a stop sign, but I love you guys, so I, I humbled myself. Um, is that what, what Malachi and um, in his who will wash these dysfunctional people who have forgotten God proclaims what um, Philippians proclaims in that that God is going to bring the work that started in you to completion. You are not going to bring the work that started in you to completion, but God is going to bring the work that started in you to completion. That the two, sort of John the Baptist one, one um, Zechariah's song, uh, uh, when his lips are open after he's been mute, and, and John's beginning message uh, stand as these sort of signs too. And, and the reason why is next week we get to the second half of John's message, which is give away your coat, share your food, don't collect too much money. We get to that. But I think it's important that the first time we, we, we stop. And the reason why I chose a stop sign is as a symbol for the sign that I think that God is showing at these things, for the sign of what God is going to do, is because the stop sign has within it a participatory element that isn't much. Stop. That perhaps what these four readings pull together for us is that there is time for us to stop, to see how God is going to wash and cleanse his people with both soap and fire, to see how God is going to bring about that day that we patiently wait, that day of the Lord that Philippians speak of, to, to, to see with Zechariah. And, and what I love about his song is he's filled with the Holy Spirit. We have underappreciated the Holy Spirit in many ways. And sometimes I think that our overappreciation in signs and miracles misses these places in which you're filled with the Holy Spirit. You see reality in the way that God intends it to be. Being filled with the Holy Spirit, Zechariah doesn't speak in tongues or heal someone, but he proclaims what God intends to do. And if you think about it, that's what a miracle is, by the way. What God intends to do is to heal people. 
And so Zechariah is filled with this, and he sees that sign as well and proclaims what God is going to do. And John comes on the scene uh, to proclaim a baptism of forgiveness of sins and repentance. Um, And he has this voice, this sign for us, calling out in the wilderness. That's the the mass of the themes, but I do want to take a moment to walk through individual texts a little bit. Um, The Malachi reading... Um, is, is, one of the, is the last book of the Old Testament. There's about a 200-year period, 400-year, uh, sorry, silence. It's called the intertestamental period. Uh, we don't have anything in our Bibles in between the end of Malachi and the beginning of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, um, that there's nothing there. But what it proclaims is, is that there will be a day of washing. God and his commitment to humanity, and this shows up in the incarnation um, and in what we hope in return, is not committed to throwing us away. Christian Century had a, um, a thing for a while where they would have theologians write the gospel in seven words. And one of them, the theologian Will Willimon, wrote, God refuses to be God without us. God refuses to be God without us. The people who make up the book of Malachi can show honor to people and rulers and this, that, and the other, but they cannot show honor to God. God, for a day, I find a different people. (laughs) I say it's not worth it. But this God proclaims that he shall wash and persevere. Now, now soap, um, I meant to bring uh, some soap uh, from our house. Soap that we buy often proclaims to be gentle on your skin. Uh, my mom used to do the dishes with those yellow gloves. Um, I think that's because the soap was harsh. I was a bad son. I never did them, so confession there. Um, but, uh, I think it was because the soap was harsh. So we try to buy nice soaps today that are kind to our skin. It's helpful that Malachi pairs his soap with fire because we know that fire, no matter how much we might try to tame it, if it's a purifying agent for us, burns. But the soap in the ancient world that they're talking of also burns. And it's soap that shares in in, um, Hebrew the the same root as the word covenant, too. We were talking at the book study this week about that line from the book of Hebrews that says it's a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Um, That we live with God and there's this burning and this washing that comes with it. John is going to proclaim this in his baptism. Jesus, he's going to speak of Jesus coming with a greater baptism, um, uh, a baptism of fire as well. Um, And that this is is Malachi's way. But what Malachi says at the end of that reading, which we didn't read, is that, um, so I will put you on trial. I will be quick to testify against the sorcery, adulterers, perjurers, against the defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fathers, drive the foreigners of justice among you of justice, but do not fear me. That God in that moment is going to rectify and restore the world to what it's been. He refuses to be God without us, but he doesn't refuse to let us go into injustice or he doesn't allow us to continue in that. I'm, I don't, there were too many knots in that sentence for me. Um, he refuses to let us take the world into the gutter that we would take it into. He intends to restore that. 
The Philippians reading points to that day of the Lord that God is going to restore us. And this assumption that it is going to be God and we are to be patient with it. That God is praying for that love and fullness to become full among us. It's a slow work that God does in us. I didn't have the classic sort of come down the aisle and get saved moment, but I've had moments where I'm like, I'm going to do it right this time. And often that lasts an hour, a month, a week. And it's almost like the betrayal of our own feelings. The highness that I feel is totally unsustainable because it's highness I feel. It's not what God is intending to do in the slow, patient work he has in store for us. How I want to shortcut that, and yet God holds me in that place. The Song of Zechariah that we heard. Uh, maybe we'll do John the Baptist first. John the Baptist is this um, amazing character. You, for most people who, who, part of learning the Gospels is, tr- is finding out that, that um, Christmas, we have Luke 2, a little bit of Matthew, but all the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, have space for John the Baptist. We make a big deal out of Christmas, and perhaps we rightfully should because it's the gift of Christ coming with us. There's the God with us that we celebrate in that. But the gospel writers almost make it so that you don't have the gospels without John. Two gospels you can have without Christmas, almost, but you can't have the gospels without John because John prepares the way. He's this last prophet at the end of this age. He is overloaded with images from the Old Testament, so much so if this is the last one who's going to be part of this thing, in this pattern, in this way, and Christ comes in a different way, or in a similar but different way. This is a, a famous altarpiece. Um, uh, I wish I could, I, Carl, I couldn't pronounce the name of where it is. Eisen, Grunenwald uh, altarpiece at Eisenheim, which sounds like a Lord of the Rings place. I might have had it. They're taking the hobbits to Isengard. Um, uh, look it up. Um, but, but what I want to point out is this is John the Baptist here on the side. This is, again, like one of those signs. Is John here, and I think uh, the Latin behind him uh, is, he must increase, I must decrease. And one theologian that I enjoy, he said, my goal in my theology is to be John the Baptist's finger, pointing to what God is doing, pointing to what God has done in Jesus Christ. What Josh read for us, and thank you for that reading, Josh, was, was in the wilderness. <laughs> First time I gave him one with hard work. Uh, if he doesn't come back, you know who to blame. Um, uh, John, or Luke has this way of listing all the powerful people. He does this with Jesus' birth too. All the powerful people in the world. And yet the word, um, uh, what does he say in this one? Uh, during the priesthood, the word of God came to son, uh, John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. We were at morning prayer this week. Uh, Jared asked actually how he could pray for me. I know too much about Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate, Herod the Tetrarch of Galilee, Philip the Tetrarch of Irthia and Tractonius. I know and am surrounded by the noise of the world so much. 
what's going on with the virus? What's the CDC saying? What is Joe Biden doing? Uh, is Tom Brady going to play today or not? Um, all of the noise, and I freely give myself to that. I ask for prayer for Jared to, to turn that off. As the word of the Lord comes to John in the wilderness, and it ignores the halls of power, it ignores the high places it could reside, and yet it comes to one who is out in the wilderness. This is the challenge, I think, for us, not just in this Advent season, but in our lives, to be ones who aren't only looking to the high places for where our news and where our lives might be secure. Because in the wilderness, you can learn something different. You can learn something that your smartphone doesn't give you. You can learn to be bound and freed from those things. And he has this voice of the one calling out in the wilderness to prepare the way of the Lord. And he proclaims this great leveling. It's one of those things that every, every mountain shall be raised low and every valley shall be filled so that all will see the salvation of the Lord. He proclaims a leveling of sorts. That which is high can be brought low. That which is low and obscured will be brought high. But in the midst of that, there will be a highway to see what the Lord is doing. And this language is overloaded with Exodus-like language. It's, it's, if you go back to Zechariah's song, which we'll talk about last next, um, but this John's message is that there are people in the shadow of death and slavery, and what they get pulled out to is a clear space to see the highway of the Lord bringing them into a new land, bringing them into a new place. That all people will see God's salvation is the day we await. That's John the Baptist, and we'll revisit him next Sunday. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. You will go before him, before the Lord, to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation, to the forgiveness of sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come, uh, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven and shine on those living in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet in the path of peace. This, to me, Zechariah's song is he's moved from mute, um, denying that God would bring him a son to some degree, to being able to speak again. What he proclaims over his son, that he will be a prophet of the Most High. And he will prepare this way for the Lord. That he will be the one who brings this about. For the forgiveness of our sins, by the tender mercy. But the cosmic nature of what we see in this rising sun will come to us from heaven. That Christ for us, this one we await, the sign in which we see, if we but stop and think and ponder. Zechariah <laughs> went months mute, not speaking. We can begin to say and proclaim that though the world is dark, Though there is a shadow of death that resides around us, there is also a light from heaven which we await that will free us from that. This is um, 
one of the things when we talk about the forgiveness of things is I try to always say the worst thing you've done isn't the truest thing about yourself. In this, it's the worst thing in the world isn't the truest thing about the world. The truest thing. We sit in that story in Advent is that we wait in the place of Israel to appreciate the story in the anticipation of that first coming, which we catch a glimpse. We talked last week about the radio message that proclaims the war is over, but you still exist in the midst of it. But we hear the sound of victory. And so too, in Advent, we await that second return too. That though we've received the news of the resurrection, it's the first fruits of what awaits us. And we await that coming day of the Lord that will restore us all. Let us pray. God, you in your wisdom have called your church to inhabit, inhabit a different sense of time. While we have halls of power and presidents and princes and news to follow, there's something happening at the edges in the wilderness. And in that place, mountains will lower, valleys will be lifted, so that we, your people, and all people, shall come to see the salvation you've promised us. God, let us not live into lies that all is fine. Buy more, consume more, trust more in these other places and powers. But open our eyes to the signs that you give us. In the book of Malachi, of a washing and a restoration a trial about the end of injustice. In the book of Philippians, about that day we await, a future day in which you will complete your work in us and in the world. That we may come to John 2 to hear his message, his baptism for the forgiveness of sins and repentance. We too would make that turn in our lives. And finally, that we may be drawn into seeing the rising of that sun, full of the Holy Spirit, the rising of that light that comes to us in the midst of darkness. We ask all that in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.